to go. We are good to go. And I, sorry, I started recording like right <laughs> in the middle of when you said that. Hi, Hannah. Hey, Ariel. How are you? I'm great. How are you? I am excellent. I'm excellent. I'm having... Well, we're both having one of those martinis that Lynn made earlier with like pomegranate a fresh martini. pomegranate. Mm-hmm. So good. I love it. Shout out to Lynn. Lynn's the best. The woman who owns the house I live in. She's the greatest. She makes a damn fine drink. She makes fucking good ass martinis. Like her fuck. Did you have her fucking pumpkin martini Mm-mm. a couple of weeks ago? I don't Shit. even like pumpkin stuff, but I feel like I would probably like it. Oh my god, it was so good. She used like real canned pumpkin, mm. like pureed into, I don't even fucking know what was in there. <laughs> probably more Cointreau. Yeah. Because that shit's delicious. Contro. Yeah, as Sam says, Contro. Um, and I made some homemade limoncello. You did? I saw that. Yeah, it was really cool. I kind of, I, we zested the lemons and I felt like when you put it in the bottle with like the vodka, it kind of looked like a like gold flake vodka. What is that yeah, shit? Gold. Is it actually just called gold flake? Maybe. The uh, vodka with yeah, like I know. the you know, and it's actually like really cheap though. Yeah, and shitty. I, I know what you're talking about, but I, yeah, it's gold something. It might just be gold flake. Gold finger. Oh. That's uh, <laughs> that's my uh, Keep going. my my Bond girl singer impression. Yeah. Are you a Bond girl? I thought only Christmas comes once a year. <laughs> Ew. <laughs> it's never... also my Scottish accent. That's <laughs> and you guys say I'm bad at accents. Uh, well, because you are. No. <laughs> I mean, I also am, but I don't attempt it as often <laughs> as you do. It's just when I'm drunk. I need to talk in a different voice. Uh, yeah. Because I'm an actor. <laughs> I like that. Well, um, we're not acting tonight, but we are uh, performing. performing. Would you, I mean, would you really call this performing, though? I mean, I don't, that's, maybe, yeah. For an audience of one. Hey there, <laughs> listeners. Hi. Once again, welcome. Welcome back to the podcast. Exactly. You are in the hood with the harlots. Here we are. The babes. We're in the living room. In the books. Um, <laughs> in the hood. Is that what I said? <laughs> I just pretended I didn't hear that. <laughs> I, well, I wanted something that started with an H. Anyways... We're very good actors, <laughs> mm-hmm. and um, this is all scripted. So yeah. we sound um, like we're making it up, but we're not. That's how good actors that's, we are. Uh, that's how good we are. Wow. Uh, so enjoy. <laughs> um, <laughs> on this podcast, we pick a theme, we read books, we don't tell each other what the book is, and then when we record, we talk about them. Mm-hmm. Um, and. This uh, poorly chosen half-assed theme, <laughs> which was supposed to be for November, but yeah. is beginning of December, it's was. December um, uh, I, I was trying to go in like the realm of like being thankful, and so I was like, "Well, what's, you know, I, I'm thankful for like owning books." Yep. Um, and thankful. What thankful that we get to reread books we have that privilege yeah that's that's what I was going for was so I was thinking like what are books that I already own that I'm like happy to own and I'm thankful for that and then most of the books that I own I've already read before so 
the theme for this month was going to be um, rereading a book that you haven't read in 10 years. At least 10 years, yeah. At least 10 years. And just coming at it from a new perspective and seeing what's noticed as different and how you digest it differently. Yeah, and uh, in that uh, journey, um, being uh, grateful that you're not your fucking teenage self anymore. Yeah, thank God for that. (laughs) Because when I was reading mine, I was reading it and I was just like, spoiler alert, oh my God, this book is so fucking bad. (laughs) It it was just... Can't wait to see what you Oh my God. Well, and there's a whole story about the the book that I chose, but um, I was reading it and I was just like, oh, I can't believe that I read this when I was a teenager. (laughs) And then when I thought about it further, I was like, oh shit, when I was a teenager, I actually thought that this book was like high art. Oh, sure. And like I thought it was really good because I was like, not gonna admit it at the time, but I was like, "Oh, well, this must be really high art because I don't really understand it." <laughs> yeah. And now I'm reading it now, and I'm just like, "Um, actually, there's nothing to fucking understand. It's just really poorly written." I get that. <laughs> you just assume, like, if you don't understand something, that it's so like high art and fancy and classic, and everyone loves and it. It had very nice um, graphic design oh. on the cover, so I'm I was a just like, "Well, that. obviously." Yeah. This must be. <laughs> and I thought that like everyone who's ever been published must be a really great writer because mm. it's so tough to get published. Right? Like how do these fucking idiot garbage books get published when so many good people can't? You know, to be honest, like total. Okay, not to judge any of the patrons that come to my library but like people read some fucking trash like if i you know what different strokes all of that good stuff sure, some sure. people are into like the shitty some people two dollar like romance novels and whatever like westerns are really popular at my library which is mm. kind of crazy mm. but like some of the shit that people check out i'm just like are you fucking kidding me right now like well obviously i don't know their names i don't know who these people are but i'm just like really god Murder She Baked? Is that really a thing? Sounds delicious. (laughs) Well, just look how popular fucking Fifty Shades of Grey was. And that book is poorly written garbage. Oh my god. And Well, and I was part of like the Twilight phenomenon Mm. when I was in high school. I was like, oh yeah. I totally hated that shit. Oh, well, I hate it now. Yeah. Absolutely. But at the time, I had never dated anybody before. And I was just like, oh yeah, I'm so sexually (laughs) frustrated, but I don't even know it yet. (laughs) Oh, I was on the total like overly like, I hate Twilight. It's so dumb. And like now I don't feel that strongly about it anymore. I'm just like, whatever. Well, you can't because it's just sort of like... Well, it's like anything, like bring it on too, you know, <laughs> like it's just not something that you think about right. anymore because like it's bad, it's but bad. you don't have to acknowledge it. But yeah, I like wasted way too much energy on like, I hate it. It's so dumb. And I'm just like, who gives a shit? Yeah, it's bad, but I'm not going to like spend my energy hating it anymore. I know. That's how... It's called growing up. Listeners, that is how that you should feel mm. about the people in your life that you want to expel just bad energy upon, but... Keep it inside. Turn it into something good. Mm. Just don't think about it. Just swallow your feelings. Eat ice cream. You're so wise. Dig a pit. And And bury yourself in it? Yeah. Mm. (laughs) Okay. I will. Take your martini with you. Um, 
All right. Well. <laughs> well, fab- fabulously executed uh, introduction, mm-hmm. Hannah. That on point with the script. Crush it was so good. It. Thanks. I wrote all the all the script. Um, I have. Thank a, you for filling in that line. By the way, when I forgot. Oh yeah. I mean. About the pit. I have a degree in screenwriting, so obviously I'm very highly regarded. Mm. Do you? No, I don't. Oh. <laughs> I was like, wait, what? I have a high school degree. <laughs> I was like, hold on a second. Oh, okay, good. Okay, so gratitude and reading shit over again. Mm-hmm. Who goes first? Do you want to go first? Should I go first? Mm, I can go first, I suppose. Go first. Oh, okay. I think you've gone first several times. Yeah. And now I just want to get this over with for me. <laughs> All right. Here's the book. That sounds good. I read Steppenwolf by Herman Hesse. Which Steppenwolf? Have you heard of it? No. And it looks really old. It is. It was written in 1927 in German. Oh. Did a... you read it in German? No, I wish. You were talking a lot of German last night when I was driving you home. <laughs> I don't remember that. Um... So for listeners who don't know, uh, Hannah and I are on a world-famous terrorist ending trivia team called Blunt Tuesdays, hashtag fuck ISIS. And we won last night, so uh, people got blitzkrieged. I was just going to say blitzed. Wow. (laughs) I, I'm going for Blitzkrieg recently. I, mean, I, I think like it, it just adds a little extra oomph. Well, we get halftime shots when we um, win the first round. Yeah. And the shots are poison. And I had two, as I recall, because someone didn't want theirs. I wasn't drinking last night. I, I probably s- had yours shot you, you had mine. And I was saying, like, Hannah, you should share that. And you were, like, offering it to everyone. And everyone had just finished theirs. So they're, oh, like, no. not yet. Well, they said not yet. And you were, like, okay, I guess I have to finish it. <laughs> But long story short, I was driving you home, and you and Chris were in the back seat. Wait, Chris was there? Yeah, Chris was in the back seat. Oh, I don't at, remember that. <laughs> well, we dropped him off at home first, but we were dropping him off. Like you and Chris were just like talking to German <laughs> the entire time, and Sam were just Sam and I were just like up in the front oh seats, being like, uh, because we, we speak French, and so we're just yeah. like, oh, we have no idea what's going on. Well, I don't really speak German either. <laughs> And I, you were, I mean, you were talking it last night. I don't know good. if you knew what you were saying. I've noticed but. that. I've, my language skills get way better when I've been drinking. You know, there's something to be said about like the... It's like it just opens up the back recesses of my mind where I think all my language skills are stored. It's probably just more like a confidence thing. That's probably you true. You know, like the, how people are a little bit better when they're drinking mm-hmm. and um, they're singing karaoke. <laughs> I've experienced you that know, before. It's just like when you let your inhibitions go and you stop being self-conscious, you can do yeah. amazing things. That is very true. Hey, world. Just do what you just do. Let just it let go. it go. Wow. I know. I'm so wise. You are, you're just <laughs> pumping out the wisdom tonight. Well, I only drink once a week now, so it's like, <laughs> oh, shit. Well, I got to get it all out there yeah, now. Here we go. Cheers <laughs> hey, to that. Hey, cheers. That's right. <laughs> All right. Mm. Well, okay, so keep telling me about this book. Oh, so actually in high school, Chris um, introduced me to this book because he's a little German boy. Um, So the the cover says, one of the most famous and daring novels of the 20th century. Mm. And it is quite famous and it is quite daring. I have never heard of it, unfortunately. 
It's written in the existential tradition of Nietzsche and Dostoevsky. Oh, fuck. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I don't know. I tried to I tried to read Thus Spoke Zarathustra. I don't know what that is. It's um it's a book by Nietzsche, but from what I've heard, it's like the hardest one to read. And that's what I started with. So maybe my impression of him is bad. That could be. Well, because it was terrible. <laughs> <laughs> well, I have, um, I don't know. My, my relationship with this book is that I read it when I was 17. Pretty much most of it went over my head. I kind of got like the basic gist of it. Um, but I really didn't understand the complex themes. I didn't even really understand like what was happening with the plot because it's very, if you look at it, like, look, it's hardly any paragraph breaks, Mm -hmm. hardly any dialogue, at least in the first half of the book. The first half of the book is so hard to get through because it's just rambling, rambling, and it's kind of repetitive at times. Is it like, like description or like what's, um, what's happening? Yeah, well, it's written... The majority of the book is written in first person from the perspective of this man named Harry Holler. And he's kind of a weirdo. He's a loner. He regards himself as a steppenwolf, just half man, half wolf, where like the two sides are just kind of struggling with each other. Oh, shit. I didn't know that that like wolfkin... Sort of like gendered species bending existed in the 20s. I mean, probably not to the extent that it does today. He doesn't actually live as a wolf, but it's more considered does like... Does he have a tail butt plug? Not that I know of, All but right. I hope he does. Well, okay, so he's got his like man side, which, you know, wants things to be, you know, decent and he wants to be with people and he wants to be polite and be part of society and then he's got his wolf side that just hates everything thinks it's all phony and fake and he just wants to be wild and kind of cruel and just a beast and so these two sides struggle within him as he thinks mm. of it and then a large part of the book in the beginning so he's out walking he's like contemplating suicide he's just really depressed he hates all the f- superficialities of society and like oh it's just all so dumb and he can't relate to anyone he has like he goes over to his one of his old professor's house and it just like insults one of the wives the wife's favorite picture and he just has this like terrible thing and he's like well that's the last straw i just can't live on this earth anymore <laughs> and like i get that you know you have yo like, fuck your fugly wife <laughs> i'm out of here like you just have one bad interaction with somebody and you're like wow i'm done i'm i can't i can't ever talk to anyone ever again oh my god he just fucking gives up and decides he's gonna go kill himself oh shit but he walks by this um magic theater and this man gives him a pamphlet and it turns out the pamphlet is written about him like it refers to him by name like there was a man called harry holler who considers himself a steppenwolf and it's it's this treatise on the steppenwolf and it it goes on for a really long time in the book and honestly, that's one of the hardest parts to get through because it's kind of repetitive and it reads like kind of a textbook. And it's it's just, supposed to be just a fucking pamphlet. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. And it's more like a packet. Like, right. Like, all right. Here's your homework. A 70 page packet. But yeah. But it's interesting because it's it's just describing Harry's um, personality, what he thinks. So it's it knows about him and knows everything about him. Yeah. Um, and he doesn't even seem like freaked out by this. He's just like, oh, weird. Like, 
I wonder if that's just like the author like trying to like fill space and he just like puts in like his character notes. Oh, I'm sure. <laughs> I think that's what it is. It's it's the author wanting to like expound on his own ideas without like having Harry talk about it. So he yeah, he wants to like talk about his ideas without the pretense of it being a novel. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. So I mean, it's it sounds wonderful. It's that's the thing. It, it's the whole book. Or the first half of the book is kind of like that, and then it picks up because he meets this woman in a bar named Hermina, and this whole book is kind of surreal. Like she, he meets Harry. She meets Harry when he's really depressed, and he goes in because he's he knows if he goes home, he's gonna kill himself with a razor. But he's scared of doing that, so he doesn't want to go home. So he goes to this bar. And he realizes this woman kind of looks like his old childhood friend named Herman. And she's like, I bet you can guess my name. And he looks at her and realizes that he, she looks like this boy he knew. And so he's like, oh, your name is Hermina because my, you look like my friend Herman. And so that's just one aspect of how it's kind of surreal and kind of weird. And So was it actually his boyhood no, friend it was, it was who wo- had like a sex change? No, it was, it's just a woman who looks like... Well, you find out kind of in the end that like Hermina might be just a facet of Harry's personality, that she might not even exist because they really are kind of the mirror each other and they complement each other. She's really into like hedonism and dancing and drinking and jazz and music and just all the sensual sides of life. And Harry's really intellectual and he reads books and he kind of hates all that sensual stuff. And so the book is them learning from each other like, she teaches him how to dance. They call each other brother and sister. Um, and so you, you realize maybe she's not... She's just one part of him. And he's just having a fucking life-altering episode. Yeah. But for the better. Yeah. Okay. Well, when you, when I, you first meet her, you she's almost kind of a manic pixie dream girl prototype. Because he says, like, my whole world changed when I met her. I have this new lease on life. Um, she's so like joyful and full of life, and she's just changing me. And like, oh my god, our books are similar. Yeah. So then, <laughs> but then you kind of realize that no, like, it's she is him. So it's not really manic pixie dream girl in reality, but it kind of feels like it because she does open him up to this whole new world. He's, like, enjoying things more. He goes out dancing. She gets him a lover, and he's always considered sex and all that to be kind of, like, degrading and just kind of, you know, Hmm. undignified. But then he meets this amazing, voluptuous woman, and he, like, understands the joys of sex and sensuality, and he just gets this whole new lease on life. And then they go to this ball and are dancing and they just like dance for hours with everyone. They get all crazy and it's just like a wild party. And those are like the interesting parts. But a lot of it in between is very rambling, very monologue very kind of overly flowery, pretentious language. Mm. But the book also kind of goes like tells you not to be pretentious, like <laughs> to not take things so seriously like Harry does. You know, like this is sounding very similar to Catcher in the Rye, mm. where he's like, everything's phony, mm-hmm. wah, and then like Big is baby. like a fucking like romantic depressive, yeah, like living like a dramatic life and like, uh-huh. oh god, everyone sucks, uh-huh. yeah, fucking Holden, 
Yeah, exactly. Caulfield. Caulfield. I love that last name. That's a good name. Not because I think it's great or anything. I just love the satisfaction of saying it out loud. Mm-hmm. <sighs> so yeah, it's... Well, and the whole book culminates in this magic theater, which is like... Which is where he got the pamphlet. Yeah, and it's okay. magic theater for Mad Men only. The only cost is your mind or something. Ooh, and so it's so good, like circusy. Yeah, and it's really that's actually honestly one of the most interesting parts of the book. So like, Hermina's jazz musician friend Pablo takes both of them into his magic theater, and it's like full of all these different rooms you could go into, and they all have different like themes. I was gonna so like transform into any animal or plant you please in one room. Um, hmm. Instruction in the Indian arts of love course for beginners. Um, 42 different methods and practices delightful suicide you laugh yourself to bits and like Harry sees this mirror and all these different variations of himself pop out of it like young ones old ones weird ones like just goofy ones because one of the big themes of the book is that Harry thinks he's dual natured man and wolf but what he doesn't realize is that everyone has thousands of different natures in themselves Mm -hmm. at all times and there's this cool passage about how like everyone's a gardener of their own soul and um you only know two types of plants and so you disregard any other type of plant that you don't know or something but i don't even know how to explain it it's a great passage but it's just like there's all these different kinds and but you don't consider them useful or edible because you don't know them and so harry only sees himself as man and wolf but he doesn't realize that there's so many other parts mm-hmm. of himself to discover there's intellectual there's yeah sensual and he gets his sensual like side and he gets his like extrovert introverted mm-hmm. just countless okay and another big theme of the book is like not taking things so seriously and enjoying all different parts of life and um he meets mozart and goethe in the in the magic theater is this is it written as like present day when it was written so like the 20s yeah okay so he's meeting mozart like surreally yeah okay and so they're the immortals and they're in the magic theater and they tell him like wait mozart and who uh goethe so who's that oh or he's a writer poet German. Oh, is that G O E T H E? Yeah. Oh, I always said it as Goethe. Oh, <laughs> Goethe. Because that's okay. I think it's Goethe. Well, I've never heard it said before. Yeah. I've always just seen it written, so I always like in my head I said it as Goethe. Yeah. No, I mean that's how it looks. But he was <laughs> so it's Goethe. Goethe, I think. Okay. Hmm. At least that's how my understanding of it. But he's a German. Um. So yeah, and these immortals tell him like the secret to life is laughter. Like you have to just laugh at things and. Again, there's so many great passages in this book that I was going to read, but then I didn't get them together in time, <laughs> so I can't <laughs> find them. But basically, it's just saying... Well, it like, is a Wednesday. Yeah, it's like, exactly. like, who knew we were doing this today? Fuck it. And I do... Like I like I said, the first half of this book is kind of hard to get into and get through, even though it's really interesting. And then it really kind of picks up in the second half, and there's all these insightful things and interesting ideas, like disillusion of the self and just getting in touch with your spiritual side and your sensual side and just not being run by your ego and just kind of letting things go. And and so, like I said, in this magic theater, um, they tell Harry, like, you need to, like, dissolve your personality and then, like, build it back up in all these different ways. Because you're a shit human being, boy. Yeah, pretty much. Um, 
and be, be, be better. He goes into one of these rooms, which is, I don't know why it's so funny to me, but it's about like man versus machine and they have to choose a side. And, and so he and his old childhood friend that he hasn't seen in a while, not Herman, but a different one. They literally, there's cars driving by down below and they just like shoot the people in the cars <laughs> because what? Because it's so bizarre. That's the whole thing. And they see it as like a game and they're like, hooray, we got, oh, yay. And it's because like machines are evil and the earth needs to like reclaim itself and go back to the way it was. And they're saying like, <laughs> one of the people in the car survives and they're like, why are you doing this? And he says, you were driving above the speed limit. And he was like, <laughs> we were driving at a reasonable pace. And, he, and the guy's like, well, any car driving is going over the speed limit. <laughs> Just the fact that you're driving at all, you, you need to die and cars need to be destroyed. And, just, I, and I'm going to use a machine to kill you. Yeah. Well, that's what, and that's what Harry said. He's like, are we not using machines to kill? And he's like, we'll get to that. Like the, the guns will be destroyed later too. We're all, every, everything. Is we're gonna, just, we're, we're just using them to, to kill the other yeah. machines. For but, but it'll come to that. It's just so bizarre. And it's in such kind of a lighthearted way. And it's just like, what is happening? It's so weird and surreal. But it's just, it's fantasy because they're in the magic theater and they go into all these different rooms and. And then eventually he kills Hermina because um, when he first met her, she said, you have to do everything I say. And at the end, you will fall in love with me and you must kill me. (laughs) (laughs) Who fucking says that? (laughs) That already right there is just so bizarre. Yeah, it's a very bizarre book, but it's really interesting. And then so the book ends with like Harry going into a room and seeing the naked bodies of Pablo and Hermina intertwined and he kills Hermina. And Mozart shows up and is like, you failed, dude. <laughs> Better luck next time. Because he, like, took it too seriously or something. But he did what... What she wanted. Oh, but maybe she was but, joking. Or maybe, like, once they both went to the Magic Theater, they got enlightened and she didn't want it anymore. And, and she's a part of himself. I, I read a couple analyses about this, and it was like, he's killing that part of himself because he doesn't need it anymore, because he's already learned everything he can from her. So he kills her, but then Mozart is like, you're taking it too seriously. I told you life is about laughter, and you fucking killed her. And, mm-hmm. and then Harry's just like, well, I'll try, I'll try better next time. Like, he knows he's going to come back to the Magic Theater and try everything again, and, like, he's just going to keep getting it right. He's going to try to keep, keep doing it, and then the book ends. <laughs> and he's like this he goes so, off with Mozart and, and Goethe oh my god this is so fucking bizarre yeah, it's so weird and it's, like I said it's actually a really good book and it's really interesting and it's, it's it's famous and it's bizarre and for anyone who is not afraid of being disturbed and strives towards a sympathetic understanding of modern intellectual Germany mm. it's 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 weird yeah, I, I like the cover art that you have going on yeah. here. It's I found this old paperback. Kind of interesting. The, the, the version I read in high school was a really nice, like, fancy modern version, but I like this old, old copy. I love this fucking depressed as shit debutante, <laughs> like, just, like, tired know, looking old so hag. Just, like, one of those, like, create like costume jewelry like gaudy old hags that just is like is so fabulous Mm -hmm. and loved by bartenders like she's great looking at her and yeah that's what i want to be let's be that 
Oh, speaking of hags, do you remember telling me that um, that was your uh, initials? Oh, I kind of remember H-A-G. that. H-A-G. I was and calling myself a hag. You were calling yourself all these different <laughs> types of hags. You were like, well, the sea hag, and you were doing it in an Australian accent. Oh. You were like, well, a sea hag is from here, and she does this. And there are mountain hags, and there are valley hags. And then I, said, I started talking to you about, like, well, what does a mountain hag do? And you were like, well, the mountain hag. I don't, even I don't fucking remember, remember what this. you were I ca- saying. Oh my god. I kind of remember talking about hags, but I don't remember. But like, there were desert hags. There were like so many different kinds of hags. And I was like, oh well, my god. That's, that's your new nickname now. It's just I'm, hag. I'm hag. That's true. <laughs> Hannah Alexandra Garneau. Well, we've, don't look me up. We have called you Box of Rags for mm-hmm. a really long time. Mm-hmm. But. Um, for anyone <laughs> listening to that, that sounds like a really terrible really nickname for a woman. Box of rags. Like, it actually sounds like really terrible when you say it like that. But actually, Hannah just spills things everywhere she That's goes. That's true. And Nick has a literal, it's a product called Box of Rags. It's just a giant Kleenex box, yeah. basically, where you pull rags out the top. Yeah, I've seen it mostly in, like, a, like garages. Yeah. Like, car mechanics kind of like use thick, box of rags. Thick rags. Yeah. Disposable ones. They're, they're paper. They're kind of, like, yeah. really thick um, paper towels. Yeah, and I and but he has he has some in his trunk, and every time we go anywhere, like when we were staying at his cabin, <laughs> I spilled things you, like five times. Well, you, you were like holding onto a candle, and then just like poured it on the carpet. <laughs> it just like got wax. I was trying to look at the bottom of the candle, and I but didn't it realize, was lit, and I didn't I, and I did it in slow motion. Oh, just, just like pour. Nick saw me do it, and he thought I was like insane. Just. Being an asshole. But that's why we uh, Anyways, got out the box of rags. That's my name. Box of rags strikes again. And hag. Hag. Box yeah. of hags. Box of hags. Shit. <laughs> oh my god, I'm like crying. Uh, well, I'm apparently a big fan of like alter oh. egos. This weekend, I was calling myself Johnny Scorpion. <laughs> what the fuck? <laughs> Why? To who? Uh, my family. We were at our family vacation, and we all get drunk and wild and go out. And um, I became Johnny Scorpion, and he really likes vodka Red Bulls. <laughs> <laughs> so there's that. Also, who in the fuck ever likes a vodka Red Bull? That's like Johnny fucking. Scorpion. That's riot juice yeah. right there. And that's it was a double vodka going. Red Bull, and I had like five of them. What? And then I made out with a stranger in a stairwell. Oh, well, I mean, everyone's done that. You gotta do it. Everyone's done that. Yeah. So this ties into the book because we all have different <laughs> selves inside of us. And you can't take shit too seriously, you can't. yo. You just gotta laugh you at the world. You just gotta fucking go. You gotta see the stupid, the misery, the ridiculousness, and just laugh at it. Don't yeah. let it get you down. Order that double. That double. Kiss a stranger. Yeah. Call yourself any name you want. Let yeah. all your personality sides come out. Fucking... Sea hag. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Do it Just up. <laughs> live at the bottom of the ocean. It's fine. Yeah. Sting people. Mm-hmm. Oh. Eat Johnny cakes. I don't even know what I'm saying What's anymore. a Johnny cake? Uh, they're pancakes, but they're fried in bacon grease. Oh. Johnny cakes? They're, it's like a it's like a cowboy meal. Never heard of it. Johnny cakes. I've heard of bacon pancakes making bacon pancakes. Take some bacon and you put it in a pancake. <laughs> Have I told the podcast how much I love Adventure Time? I feel like I have. Maybe. You guys. Just again for the record. I love Adventure Time. It's my favorite show mm-hmm. of all time. I have a lot of favorite shows, but this one 
Far and above. Trump's everyone Far else. and beyond. Yeah. It's my favorite. It's the best. I think it's objectively the best show that yeah. has ever been on television. I would not dispute that. I really love it, too. Previously, like, when I was, like, in the throes of my Adventure Time fandom, I called it my religion. Mm, yes. Because honest to God, every time I watch an episode of Adventure Time... And I mostly like to watch it when I'm feeling down or like something's mm-hmm. bothering me or whatever. It actually like gets me out of a funk and it makes me view the world and humanity in a certain way that I Absolutely. think religion does for other people. Absolutely. I f- it just, fully it, support that. It does something to me. It's sort of, it's like a meditation or like philosophy. It's just, it's so good. Mm-hmm. We got too serious all of a sudden. Yeah, Jesus. I want to talk about my shit. Yes, let's move on to. I want to know what you read. Oh my god. So as I'm listening to this, I'm just like, why do we read such similar books? Because (laughs) my book had a manic pixie nightmare girl in it. Interesting. Actually, I actually physically wrote that note down (laughs) about this character. Do you have your Um, book with you? I do. Let me see it. Well, I will. Um, okay, but like, well, it. I want to like point out the similarities. Okay. It's it's a book that I read when I was younger that I thought was like high art, mm-hmm. and I like didn't understand it, and I was like, oh well, you know, I'll understand it later. Mm-hmm. Um, it has like a man who's just sort of like, kind of all about the place. Um, the plot doesn't make like any sense it rambles a lot like mm-hmm. there's just like some that really, sounds pretty similar there's some really weird shit about this book the difference is that i hated mine <laughs> on reading it it was so bad i thought it was high art at the time yeah and i'll and i'll tell you this whole this whole part before i tell you what the book it is um I bought this book when Borders was closing. Hmm. Did you did you I go to a Borders, Borders sale? No, I didn't. You didn't go to a Borders closing sale? Uh-uh. I worked at Barnes and Noble, so I had to, you know, choose my sides. Oh, I mean, I knew that a bookstore was closing, so I was like, well, that's all I care <laughs> no, about, and I I'm just, spending some I fucking money. I didn't know money. there was a Borders sale. I would have gone if I had known. Oh yeah, no, there was a Borders in the Rosedale Mall, um, right over by the Harmer Mall, where I worked at Barnes and Noble. Because we, were, we, both, we worked both worked at Barnes and & Noble at the same time. Yeah. Different ones. Yeah. Um, but that Borders closed, and I went there, and I got a couple of books. And then my mom and I also went to the Borders that was downtown mm-hmm. Minneapolis in Block E. And we bought a bunch of books there. And that's nice. where I got this one. And I basically bought it off of just, like, the graphic art alone. Mm-hmm. I've definitely done that. Which I thought was, like, it was kind of cool. It was really edgy looking. Mm-hmm. I was like, okay, you know. Plus book sale you know i'm just gonna spend my money Mm willy-nilly um read it thought it was high art and i was like well you know i'm I'm not gonna admit this to anyone but like this is above me and i'm yeah i'm reading such advanced material look at me like Like, i'm fucking 16 and this Mm -hmm. is just like i'm so sophisticated i'm so smart even though i don't get it yep just trying to be like the biggest poser mm-hmm. on the planet. I'm so intellectual. Uh, exactly. Yeah. I'm so smart. I'm just like, uh. but so yeah, insufferable. And then, <laughs> and then even through all of the times that I've gone through my books and like sold a bunch and given things away and done all this stuff, I held on to this book, mm-hmm. and I thought it was because. 
you know, not only of the graphic art, but I was like, I'm going to read that again. And it's, you know, it's like going to make another impact and it's going to be amazing. Mm -hmm. So I I picked out a like a stack of books to read for this episode and I told my partner to pick one. I was like, I could read any of these and be happy with it. Mm-hmm. So he chose this one and I was like, great. Okay. The reason I've held on to this one for so long, yeah. I'm going to read it again. I got fucking five pages in. Five. Five pages. And I was just like, what the oh hell God. was I thinking? I was such a fucking idiot when I was 16. <laughs> I mean, I could have told you that in other well, sure. respects, yeah. but it's actually just such a terrible book. Then, halfway through the book, I'm reading NPR's Best Books of 2018. Mm-hmm. The author is on that list. Really? Yeah. Oh. And I start reading, and it's just like, apparently, he's just like a huge like nationally critically acclaimed author. Oh my author, god, tell me who it is. Who has just like written like a bunch of really amazing like high art sort of like um esoteric, you know, surrealist novels mm-hmm. and like some poetry and all this stuff and everyone loves him and I was just like I had kind of like an existential crisis. I was like, should this change my opinion no. of the book that I'm reading? Or can I also still hate it? You can hate it so much. <laughs> and that you should hate. Well, okay, tell me who it is. Okay. Tell right. me. Tell I me. will show you. The book is Samdi the Deafness by Jesse Ball. Never heard of any it. Never heard of him. He is a nationally critically acclaimed author. He's written a bunch of books that have like won a shit ton of awards. Wow. He's like pretty well known. And he has stuck to like this very similar style that's like sort of surrealist, random jumpy tangential sort of like crazy narration style that's like popular with people yeah and now's the part where i take out my notes because (laughs) i want to show you while i was reading this book how many times i just like wrote down a page number and just said like (laughs) note Page 91, why so many children? Page 103, the egg room. All caps. What does that mean? His best friend is an invisible talking owl. Oh, this is my favorite note. Page 38, what the fuck is this? That's my only note right there. And I'm just sort of like. Oh my God, I kind of want to read this book just to see I, how much To be did. honest, when I was reading, I got halfway through and I was like, oh my God, this book is so bad. I'm so excited to talk about it. Yeah. But then I like got to that halfway point and I was like, I think Hannah might actually like this book. <laughs> <laughs> it's so, it's so bad. But what I, I guess what I want to do before I start explaining the plot is just kind of like read a couple of passages from it that I was just like. Like, what the fuck please, is please. going on? I'm excited. Um, so, I'm going to read a part. So, okay. Well, I guess I, I will give you, like, the like the first part. So, okay. we're following a, the protagonist named James Sim. We find out over time that he is a nemonist. What's that mean? It's not a real word. It's a word that's related to nemist, which is like an adjective for 
um, to remember everything. Like, okay. it's like photographic memory, sure. essentially. So in this, sur- and keep in mind how surreal this world is, mm-hmm. his job is to photogla- photographically remember everything. Like the giver in The Giver. <laughs> he remembers everything. Or I, I was going more like Jason Bourne. Oh, I don't know. In the Bourne Identity movies. I don't know him. Movies. <laughs> you don't know who Matt Damon is? <laughs> well, well, I know of him. Or um, uh, Lisbeth Salander in uh, The Girl. Girl with the Dragon Tattoo. She has a photographic memory. Okay, okay. But it's it's supposed but it's to be his, like but it's, it's his, his job. job, and they never go into like what his job actually entails being an eminist. But um, he has this training that allows him to remember literally everything. Right. So in the narration style, like you have like this super just bananas shit weird story that he's like living through day to day and then like randomly he'll go back in time and have a flashback that's not related to anything serves no purpose it really doesn't and like i guess if you're like into this sort of shit like maybe you can read into it and Mm -hmm. go into analogies and blah 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 and it plays into this and that but like it's actually just really bad writing because i'm like (laughs) what literally yeah i'm not an idiot you know i'm not not i'm not gonna claim to be the smartest person on the planet i don't have a degree in literature oh wait i do (laughs) um but like fucking 76 percent of the time i was like what the fuck is going on um okay when was this book written uh 2006 oh so okay. I So it's modern. It's modern and I bought it um like just around the time that it that it came out. Sure. So um it starts out with uh, James Sim coming on a man who has been shot five times in the middle of a park and the man tells him a bunch of really crazy shit like they're out to get me, they're going to do something horrible. Um, it's a conspiracy. Don't believe what they say. Don't trust anyone. Blah, 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 blah. like a crazy person. But he's also been shot five times. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and he, it's like, and James is looking around and he's like, I don't, I can't see anybody. So he's like, what the fuck is going on? Um, surrealist moment doesn't call the police, doesn't go to get help, doesn't do anything. He just goes to a diner. He just leaves the man. He just leaves. Well, so he does die mm-hmm. in the middle of a park, and then he just leaves and then goes to a diner. Uh-huh. Okay. And he writes himself some notes, and he's like, okay, like, what do I do now? Blah, blah, blah. Oh, here's the actual thing he writes. There was a pencil on the counter. James wrote on the back of a napkin, what should be done? Beneath it, he wrote, nothing. (laughs) Then he crossed it out. Beneath that, tell someone, the police. He looked at the napkin. He felt then that there were two of them in the room, he and the napkin, and the one of them would have to go. He crumpled up the napkin. (laughs) So so, the whole book reads like that. It's just, it's so dramatic and crazy, and I just... I don't know. It sounds like he's just really up his own ass. Uh, yeah. Okay. And there's there's another part in the next page 
that I'm going to read because it's really funny what he does with this later. So he's in the diner um, after seeing this man get shot. And he's like, oh, what do I do? Like, oh, no. Nah. Obviously, if you're in the real world, you're going to fucking call the police. Right. It's not There's a, a dead body decision. just in the middle of the fucking park. Right. And said, no, like, I'm going to wrestle with this and be like, oh. And what is there to wrestle blah. with? What? So he notices in the diner that he's being watched by someone. And I'll read another quote. Her face was framed with short black hair. She spoke with a thick accent. I will not marry you, thought James. You are not suitable at all. I don't like your yellow dress. I don't like your haircut. And I don't like your approaching of men in public places. What? But he was smiling. So literally, like... He's just judging this woman? Well, and like his first thought is, no, I will not marry you. What the fuck? He sounds like a dick. This whole book is just that fucking crazy. So... He, so he sees this woman. She tries to return his wallet to him. And he's like, um, I never dropped my wallet. She's like, oh, yeah, you did. No, like, here's your wallet. And he's like, why have you cut your sandwich into 12 pieces? And why is there nothing missing from my wallet? And why did you sit in the diner for 30 minutes before giving me my wallet? And it's like all these reasonable questions in such like a, you just left a dead body in the middle of a park without telling anyone. Yeah, why'd you do surrealist that? Surrealist environment. Like, it's fucking insane. Weird. So, I, most of the time I'm just, okay, if you hate me hating on this book, stop listening because <laughs> I'm just gonna fucking hate on this Whereas book. I love it. This whole time. I love people shitting on things. Um... So here is, uh, so he, so he runs into this woman, blah, blah, He leaves the diner, she leaves the diner, he goes home, all this stuff. He gets home, he's, there's a whole passage about him sitting on this bench in the hallway that, like, no one ever thinks about, and oh, the bench. So he's sitting on the bench. James opened the package. Inside, there were two smaller packages. James opened the first. It was a letter that had been folded upon itself many times. He unfolded it. It was quite short and forcefully clear. Dear James Sim, your inquiries are not desired. Neither are they appreciated. You have once been warned against continuing, yet still you continue. This is one half of your final warning. The letter was not signed. James opened the other small package. Something soft was inside. For a moment, he was afraid it was human skin, but his recoiling was checked by the smell of rubber. He pulled the rubber thing out and let it hang. It was some kind of mask, some kind of Halloween mask. He held it up. It looked like a human face, but what sort he could not say. A man's, certainly. He went in the front hall mirror and tried the mask on. With horror, he realized it was a rubber mask of his own face. I knew it. (laughs) (laughs) They sent him a rubber mask of his own face. So the whole book is like James, like trying to figure out what this guy was talking about. This Mm -hmm. guy who got shot and then was, you know, never found by the police, apparently his (laughs) dead body. Um, He's trying to figure out like this conspiracy this guy is talking about. And at the same time, these um, random suicides are happening outside of the White House with notes attached to them. And essentially the notes are 
threatening in nature. Threatening to whom? To the entire American populace. Mm. So I'll, I'll read one of the notes yeah. so you get kind of an idea. So um, this note is from the second day where a random person goes and like cuts his own throat in front of the White House and dies. Um, and the note is, is with the body. It says, day the second. Man lives the way he wants to live. When his wants change, so too change his methods. So too change his conditions. We live thus not because we must, but because we have learned to. But there are other ways that can be learned. An example is to be made here. Those who have been deaf shall be deaf. A place shall be made for those who have waited in the eaves. Samedi. Mm, the French word for Saturday. The French word for Saturday. So that shit's going on. This guy gets shot. He gets a rubber mask of his own face. You have to agree with him that, like, shit's going down that's all related. And mm-hmm. he's kind of like, uh, what's happening? He just stops going to work. <laughs> um, More important shit to do. He, he goes and searches for this guy that he has a lead that, like, might show him something about the conspiracy. And the guy, um leads him somewhere where he like jumps out a window and dies Mm, okay and he's like okay but now now he has a gun from that situation he took the guy's gun and the guy jumped out of a window all this shit's happening and he keeps getting stalked and like crazy shit's happening he is trying to figure it out and he keeps getting like I'll i'll just describe it as like if I was getting kidnapped, I wouldn't just like go along with it and be like, I'm upset about this, but I'll see where it goes. <laughs> you know? Like, yeah. but that's essentially what happens. Like, he knows that he's being followed. He's got a mask of his own face. And to be fair, he does hate that the entire book. Like, that is one thing that actually gets through to him. I would hate that too. Because how fucking weird is that? So he's um, being followed. He's trying to figure out this conspiracy. He gets kidnapped by these, like, three thugs who just, like, don't even force him. They're just, like, get in the van. And he's like, I'm not going to work anymore. I guess I'll figure out what this is all about. (laughs) And so he gets in the van, and he's brought to this, essentially, like, an institution for liars. Hmm. And it's something about, like, it's for people who compulsively lie, which is, like, a mental illness, and they're all going to live together and live in a lie because establishing the lies and not confronting the liars with the truth helps them to create an identity. Mm. And therefore, that makes them better. However, they can never leave because they'll never truly be better and able to live in the truthful, real world. Okay. So he goes and he's like sort of fine with being kidnapped and he's staying in this house that's on the grounds of this like liar's asylum. And they're like, well, you have to read the manual. You have to read the manual if you're going to go anywhere. And it's all these crazy rules. Like, if you 
walk into a room that's populated with different numbers of people there are different things you have to do before you can talk to anyone so one of them is like if there are three or more people in a room that you walk into you have to ring a bell everyone stops what they're doing and everyone counts to 15 collectively before anyone can say anything sounds like some ocd type shit it's the craziest shit and there are, there are rules about like all of that. Anytime he's like going into like a dining room, there are like specific things that he has to do to like Be- just because those are the rules. Just because those are the rules and I'm I don't know if I made a note about like what the rules are, but they're oh shit, they're written down around here somewhere. I'm going to find them. But so he has to follow these rules and like keeps fucking up, obviously, <laughs> because they're they're so esoteric and they're so just like unstandard. They're just like weird for the sake of being weird. They're weird for the sake of being weird, and apparently it's like some sort of um, like old woman decided like she was gonna open up this asylum to help compulsive liars. Hmm. And this helps them to, like, establish their identity and all this other shit. And so he's he's there. He's looking into this conspiracy. He keeps seeing this woman who is at the diner. And then in all of this, like, she keeps, like, showing up and, like, saying weird shit to him. And then all of a sudden... he just like does like a fucking 180 and they start fucking. <laughs> so the woman that he was like, I will not marry you. You're not suitable, blah, blah, blah. All yeah. of a sudden they're fucking. Of course. And she's like spending like all this time in his room and she's, it, she's the fucking manic pixie nightmare was, girl. Because yeah. she like does what she wants and she says these really weird things. And oh, like how cute am I? And I'm Ugh. just, I'm so like, uh. But then, like, it, it's actually, like, really hard to read because I'm like, what the fuck is going on with you? So yeah, I'm gonna... it sounds terrible. It's, yeah, it's really crazy. Her name is also Grieve. Like the word Grieve? Her name is the word Grieve. And part of this asylum is that everyone is named after someone else. So all of the maids are also named Grieve. Wait, okay. So he gets to know this one maid who's named Grieve, <laughs> who is also Grieve like the woman that he's been fucking. Yeah, the one in yellow. The the one who's not suitable to marry. <laughs> oh, gag me. Um, but the maid is like trying to help him and she like leaves him notes. Oh, and you can't... Um, just show up at anyone's door. You have to leave a note. So one oh. knock is I've left a note. Two knocks is um, come outside into the hall where we can do the 15 second count and then I can ask you a question. Hmm. Three knocks is this. Four knocks is that. Like it's all crazy. Yeah. Um, and she's like leaving him notes about like, hey, like I think I think this is happening. Um, you know, don't trust these people. Make sure you go here at this time. Hmm. And through it all, he's trying to meet with Mr. Stark, who hmm. is like the, who is Grieve's father. Grieve, the one he's the fucking. Main Grieve, yeah. The main Grieve. She also goes by Lily Violet. Oh, that's, that sounds like such kind of a like fan fiction Mary Sue type name. 
Her name's Lily Violet. Yeah, Lily Violet. But but Grieve. I mean, that's also a terrible name. Yeah. So Grieve slash Lily Violet's dad is like the head of this asylum hospital thing for liars. And he, James, the main guy, is like mm-hmm. trying to get a meeting with him to figure it out because he's like, I think that you are Samdi and you're the one who's going to do some crazy shit to America and all this stuff. You're making people kill themselves with hypnosis. Hmm. He meets uh, Grieve's brother, who is sort of like, yes, when my brother died, it was very sad, but he didn't understand things properly and blah, blah. And James is like, wait, what? Your brother who? Oh, my brother, who was shot five times that you found oh, in the park. That's Grieve's brother? They're all siblings. Oh. And he's like, by the way, the one that you didn't call the police on when you found the dead body. And James is like, oh shit, yeah, you're right. Fuck. <laughs> by no. the way, we also know about the time that you went to a stranger's apartment. And a stranger is E-S-T-R. Like, it's a, it's a full name. Oh. A, a stranger. Yeah. We know about the time you went to a stranger's apartment and you threw him out the window. Oh. And so the police are coming by to the asylum and James is like afraid to go out and say anything to the police. Like, hey, I've been fucking kidnapped. They yeah. sent me a mask of my own face. They killed their brother because he thinks that they're going to out him yeah. for finding the body and for like pushing this guy out the window. Are you, is anyone else confused yet? I have no fucking clue what's happening. <laughs> because I promise I'm a little bit bad at storytelling, but also this is actually just how the book goes. Yeah. I'm intrigued though. Like I kind of want to read this book. I'll stop here because the plot doesn't, con- it it continues to not make any sense. Sure. You know, I'm going to read, I'm going to read my uh, what the fuck note. Oh, please. Page 38, where it just says... P38, what the fuck? (laughs) What the fuck is this? But then what I want to say is that, like, maybe the last 50 pages of the book start making sense and the plot moves forward and and the the threat starts to become real, the threat of Samdi and America and the deafness and things. Mm -hmm. Again, this book is called Samdi the Deafness. So you can kind of infer what's going to happen. Um... But throughout, like, up until that point, it just, like, fucking crazy bananas doesn't make sense. Like, all of this crazy shit happens. Tell so, me. So we're in the middle of the plot. Um, essentially, I think he's already... No, he's not kidnapped yet. But he knows that there's a conspiracy. He, he knows that Grieve... Who he doesn't know that's what her name is yet mm-hmm. um, he knows that she's like in on it she's the one who sent him the mask all this stuff and then we turn the page and here's what happens it was his favorite toy what was it a little wooden bird painted the color red it was a red color it really was <laughs> a shining lovely red such as a boy might dream upon looking at it in sunlight in shadow with candles and at firesides but do not suppose that it was a songbird or any such frivolous sort 
No, his bird was an owl. He had found it one day when Ancelon, Ancelon is his imaginary friend who is an owl who is 400 years old and tells him that his family doesn't love him and that the world will burn. Duh. So that's Ancelon. <laughs> he had found it one day when Ancelon told him to look under the floorboards of his room by knocking everywhere with his hammer. When he found the red owl, Ancelon was pleased. It is your father's owl, he said. Do not let him see it. He left it there many years ago with a filament of his bone wrapped around a piece of ivory at the toy's heart. Whose bone? His own bone? Who fucking knows? <laughs> I don't fucking know. He believed it would bring him good luck, and it has. But now, my little friend, that luck will be yours. Oh, thank you, James said. Thank you. No one ever had a friend like you, nor will they, said Ancelon, nor will they. Which is like my favorite thing. <laughs> I want someone to say like, oh my god, you're the best friend. You're like, no one's ever going to be as good as you. And I'd be like, no, nor will they. What? <laughs> Just the most arrogant shit ever. Okay. And when he would take the red owl to the seashore, he would hide it from his father in a Russian fur hat, which James insisted upon wearing at all times. No one but James and Ancelon understood this absurd practice. Why was the boy wearing a Russian fur cap to the seashore? But James was always finding things, old coins, arrowheads, and such, which he gave away freely and generously, and so no one said anything to him about the fur cap until one day his father burned it while he was at school. Regrettably, the bird was inside. That day, his father became very ill and was never the same again. In fact, he died within the hour. Oh my god. And then you just go back to the plot. What? It's so fucking insane. And does that ever have any relevance to the story? No. Like, that doesn't, that's not foreshadowing anything? No. No. What? No, 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 So that no, owl no. is never the the invisible no, but like the owl, the imaginary toy. friend Ancelon comes up a few times and says some more crazy shit but not the red toy the toy owl doesn't no. come back does the father play any part no what the fuck no of course not it sounds uh, like he just wanted to like put in one of his short stories that he's written he's also written a lot of poetry and I feel like there's parts in here that's just like kind of speaks to him being like a really frivolously written poet <laughs> and not to hate on poets sure, or anything sure, sure. i want to read this other part because now at this point i'm not i'm done explaining what the book is about i just want to read some really crazy shit that i read please <laughs> all right page 103 so james is in um he's in that asylum for liars the asylum for liars and I forget exactly what he's looking for, but he's, he's like running around and I think he's trying to find something. And he, he comes across this room and people don't like him to be there. Okay, page 103. In his exploring, James had somehow managed to enter a locked room. Consternation then among the technicians. What are you doing here? I'm sorry, said James. I didn't realize. But this is the egg room, cried one of the attendants, a young man dressed head to toe in white. I, I can see that, said James. It, it looks like an egg room. I can't imagine what else it would be. You have to leave immediately, said one of the technicians. All others nodded their agreement. If you leave now, no one will ever say that you were here. We will all say that you have never been in the egg room. 
Okay, said James, I'm leaving. And he left the egg room through the door by which he came. It locked after him with a definitive click. Never again, thought James. Never again, the egg room. What the fuck? And that's it. What's the egg room? Who who fucking knows? So that doesn't come back either? You can sort of guess once you hear like the diabolical plot that this guy has for like the you know the sins of america sure um you can guess what that but it doesn't fucking make any sense and then event it does come up again where grieve will say like and i heard that you went into the egg room you shouldn't have done that (laughs) and james is like oh yeah no never again the egg room and then that's it what well, I thought the technicians weren't going to tell that he had been in there. But Grieve and all of these other people just seem to know things oh. about where he's been. Remember, this is the same woman that sent him a mask of his own face. That's true. That's true. I'm just saying. Never again the egg room. Never again. Never again the That's egg so room. That's so dramatic. Oh, oh, okay. This will be my last thing that I read <laughs> because I think everyone who's listening is probably on board with me saying this is a really shitty book. Yeah. Um, It's just like all over the place. But here's, here's one of the rules of like operating in the house so all of those rules about like ringing a bell and counting to 15 before Mm -hmm. you speak to someone this is one of the other rooms or sorry one of the other rules rule 143 when entering a room one must always wait until one is spoken to to speak if the room is occupied by three five or seven people if there are two four or nine or eight on thursdays one has the right to speak first Otherwise, eight is the clouded numeral, and one mustn't speak at all until one has slept and woken. This may, of course, be laid like a trap, like a setting at table, but such deeds will be recorded and rewarded as they are done, whether good or ill. If one is in the room, the bell applies. The bell being, ring the bell, Uh count to 15, and then you can speak. The library is exempt, a rule of silence, save between those in love and alone. Never should there be a gathering of more than nine. That room cannot be entered. One would knock and request, by dint of paper, the leaving of the room by an occupant. Of course, which is in all caps, if one enters in a pair, the rules are more complicated. The pair may speak first, save when three are within, but the pair must speak in turn and each finish the other's sentences. A pair opening a door onto a room of three must bow their heads in shame and one must speak for the other for three days, during which they mayn't be parted. Groups of more than three traveling in tandem through the halls, entering rooms willy-nilly, should consult the appendix for further rules of behavior as this ought not to be a matter of course and therefore will be approved by the situational mention here. Sounds so fucking tedious. This is one of the worst books I have ever read in my <laughs> whole life. It is so just listening to that made me want to shoot myself. It's just, so it's just fucking bad. It's just like weird. It's trying to be weird for the sake of being weird. It's that I think that that's what bothers me the most about it. Um, it's just. How much like weird, crazy shit can I put in here so that yeah. I make people think that this is high art? Right. I'm just gonna be Or that I've thought about it a lot. Or yeah. that there's a lot to read in this. Right. No, it's just bullshit. 
And he's just trying to make up weird shit to make himself sound intellectual. And And the other thing that really bothers me about this book is that you have no feeling for the protagonist. Mm. I feel like this book would be totally different if it was, you know, A, written a little bit more clearly. Sure. And clearly as in, like, just, like, trying to accomplish something. Yeah. That rule, I mean, what the fuck? (laughs) You know, the shit about the red toy and the burning of the hat. Like, what? But... To be honest, like you have no feeling for the protagonist. You right. you know nothing about his life. You know nothing about his desires, where he comes from, yeah, like how he, he plays person. into all of this, why he thinks the way he thinks. You have no idea about anything. And so whenever he acts really stupidly, you're just like, you're fucking stupid. Like you don't actually care about anything that he's doing or trying to do do or why he's confused yeah at the end when he finds out the diabolical plot to like ruin america which Mm -hmm. like it's successful i'll give that away i won't tell you what it is yeah i kind of want to just read this and (laughs) you you should you might actually like it (laughs) um but he he like learns how they want to use him because he's a nemonist and Mm -hmm. so he can remember everything he learns how they want to use him and so he just goes like Oh, okay. <laughs> like, the whole time he's there to, like, figure out the, the plot that's that's going to ruin America. And he's like, I've got to stop it. And then when he figures out what it is, he just sort of goes like, oh. <laughs> he sounds like just a pushover. And just well, and like... the same thing about, like, grieve. You know, like, he hates her. You're not suitable. All this stuff. And then all of a sudden they're fucking. Like, it's yeah. just... He he's not a real person. Yeah, like what are his motivations? What is he doing? What, no one knows just, he's just, anything. He's just a blank canvas. Okay, honest to god, last one, and then we'll be done. Um, the the note that I wrote next to this page was um, okay, page one forty four to one forty five. Okay. A passage that truly makes no sense. <laughs> <laughs> so I can't remember what it is, but I'm gonna read it. Oh, and I guess we have a kitty visiting. Hi. She's screaming at us. Oh, she's going to keep screaming. Okay. To speak of observation, and observation holes, I was watching you through the Argo, said Grieve. What were you doing in the kitchens last night? I was looking for a bit of chocolate and a bowl of milk, said James. Not on your life, said Grieve. You can't lie to me. All right, said James. I was looking for the egg room. The egg room? Grievix said Grievix exclaiming. The egg room, the egg room. But what were you, said James, doing in the room beneath the Argo? It's a cemetery, said Grieve. We call it Mount Orborn. My brother is there in a fold of grass. I covered him with thirty-nine stones, but one went missing. Where could it be? James drew from his pocket a book drew from the book a pressed flower and shook from the flower a bit of stone shaped like a crescent moon. Here it is, he said. I found it in the passage by the cellar. They were both silent. Grieve took the stone. You mustn't go there again, she said. You might meet me there and then we would be through. They're fucking by this time. A dark name like a walking stick broken in anger. 
Which is not a sentence, by the way. <laughs> not a sentence, but he says it is. When I am out on the wind, said Grieve, I wear four arms and the trails of my dress consume me. Before you say any more, said James, say no more. And so no more was said. Oh my God. <laughs> That's the end of that section. Ridiculous. <laughs> uh, you know what? The only thing that actually got me to read this entire book was me just relishing the idea of talking about this on the podcast about how much I hated it. <laughs> Sometimes that is enough to get you through. So I feel like I'm, I was a little zealous, like I'm a little overexcited, but you have to remember that I read nearly 300 pages of that bullshit, Jeez. and I'm just really excited to just like fucking word vomit all over everything. Stella's stuck to the couch. Oh, Stella, are you stuck to the couch? But no, that's how I feel about a lot of books. I just like hate read it and I get really excited to like rant to someone about how much I hate it and like listen to this dumbass fucking passage. <laughs> Cause it's so bad. Okay. The last thing I'll say about this book is that <laughs> this was his first book. It was his first book published. Mm-hmm. He's written, I think, like six or seven other books. And his latest one that was published this year was part of NPR's, like, best of 2018. Maybe he's gotten better. So that's my question. If you're listening to this, if you want to leave a comment on CastBox or on our Instagram, what do you think about giving really shitty authors another chance? Like, if we think that maybe he's gotten better, is it yeah. worth it to read his later stuff? Do we want to fucking risk it and waste our time? I was going to say, it's it's the time that I'm worried about wasting mm-hmm. because there is so much good literature out there that you could mm-hmm. never read it all. Mm-hmm. So do you give another chance to an author who supposedly is better, but, like, wasn't your cup of tea at first? Yeah, yeah I don't know. I... I'm kind of of the opinion that, like, once I've read something shitty by you, I'm, I'm done. Like, mm-hmm. because I already know that you wrote that, you got that published, so how much better really can you be? And, like, like you said, there's so much good stuff out there that I want to read that when I'm really hating something and not even, like, hating it in a fun way, if I'm, like, really, this is just terrible, I'm not going to finish it because... There's other better things to there's, spend my time on. There's better stuff to read, but then... I So I also feel that way. Yeah. But what I've been wrestling with is the idea that, like, there are some authors that I absolutely love. Like, example, Kurt Vonnegut. Mm-hmm. I loved Slaughterhouse-Five. I've loved Cat's Cradle. There's a lot of books by him that I have really liked. But I hated Timequake. Hmm. I hated Timequake. And if that had been the first book that I read, yeah, I would have missed out. Mm-hmm. That's true. Are there exceptions? And how do you know? And how can you... Exactly. How do you know? And is it part of like your journey as a reader to like give other people a chance and to try to see things at different perspectives? Mm-hmm. But at the same time i would mostly be motivated by the fact that he got onto the npr's best seller list of 2018 yeah 
And I don't want to be influenced by awards and critics and things. I think it's a good, it's a good metric for like distinguishing like who's like, you know, writing some really great shit or not. Mm-hmm. But it's not the be all end all. No. And it's not, not something that you have to like, you know, read all of your books by. Yeah, no. You know, you should have your own critically thinking mind. Of course. But how, yeah, how do you it's it's difficult and how do you distinguish and how do you what what do you listen to and what do you not listen to and say fuck it, I'm just going to read what I want or I don't know. I think, and is it and is it too harsh and too static to say like well you you fucked up your one chance and so I'll never read you again or is that pragmatic I don't know I'm gonna consider it on a case-by-case basis and you know if I've read a book that I hated by someone and I I'm not interested in any of their other books I'm not gonna read them just to read them Mm -hmm. but let's say this guy's new book, maybe it's got like an interesting plot and it sounds Yeah, I think like... it's called Crucible. Mm. So yeah, if it sounds interesting and you're like, well, everyone says it's good, maybe I'll give it a shot. You just have to con- like go with your gut. Yeah, it is a little more quixotic that way. Yeah, and like, I know I'm never going to read another John Green book because I hate the Fault in Our Stars. Uh, oh my god! Did I, <laughs> did I did I tell you that I tried to read that book? No. It was. We it, talked about it on our first episode. Well, it was waiting for me at the library yeah. when we recorded our first episode, so I picked it up. The Fault in Our Stars. Mm-hmm. And I was trying to read it in the car with my boyfriend driving and his dad in the front seat when we were going up to the cabin, mm-hmm. and I ended up opting to fall asleep. Instead, instead of reading it, because I was like, I don't want to listen to their conversation. Mm-hmm. I don't have anything else. And this book is so bad yep. that I cannot. It's Thank torture you. to keep reading Thank it. Thank you. It was so dramatic. It's so just dumb. And the dialogue was so bad. Hazel Grace, did you know this? I'm only holding this cigarette. It's a metaphor. Yeah, but you still fucking bought the cigarettes. Oh, my God. You still contributed and to like, the company. Oh, well, you know, like everyone's going to die, but no mm. one's going to die. Like me, I'm so I'm so, and so great. I'm so unique, yeah. And no one else understands what I understand. So you didn't finish Hair the book. flip. I got through the first two chapters, and I was like, I'm fucking done. Do you know what happens at the end? No. They go to Amsterdam. Two ill, cancer-ridden people. Most people with cancer. They don't have the energy to do normal things. Mm-hmm. But they travel to Amsterdam, and they go to the Anne Frank house. And they kiss in the Anne Frank house, and everyone claps around them. Because young people in love. Why would anyone so give offensive. a shit about anything? Right. Why would they do that? Why He got, John Green got called Who's, out for... Seriously, who is feeling fucking in the mood during that? Like, exactly. you're just crying to yourself and trying to hide your ugly cry face. Exactly. No people one is trying to so, kiss anyone so in there. So offensive. And why would anyone give a shit that anyone's kissing right? and start clapping? I know, it's so fucking stupid. And like, John Green was like, oh, I feel like Anne would have loved it. Like, fuck off. Um, Anne no was shit. dealing with some much bigger issues. 
Yeah. Than like two people like liking each other. Because they're both so fucking unique that they just make sense. Yes. And they're like 17 years old. They go to Amsterdam with one of their parents or something, but like they have their own hotel room or something. They like end up fucking in Amsterdam. Which again, these kids are sick. Yeah. People with cancer don't have the energy to do anything, let alone. Well, I don't know too many parents who would be chaperoning, like, their teenager's vacation with, like, their crush Mm -hmm. and then, like, letting them fuck. You know what I mean? Ugh. It's just, the book is so fucking bad. And, like, (laughs) and and the way John, like, you know, they're obsessed with that author or whatever. Oh, um, shit. Well, yeah. Uh, Who cares? Whoever it is. They're obsessed with the author and he's so profound. But, like, that's John Green writing as that author saying who's so profound he's saying his own writing and thoughts are so profound and wise and amazing because he's writing that author he's writing the words of the author they're obsessed with and it's just like Uh. john green you're not that good god i could like i said i I could rant about john green i hate him so much i think he's (laughs) such a pretentious douchebag and he's like obsessed with teenagers and he says being an adult is terrible and it sucks and that's just telling teenagers who upset like it's not gonna get better you know well and also like if you long for your teenage years i'm sorry but <laughs> sorry i'm sorry but um you need to figure out your fucking life yeah. because being a teenager sucks, sucks. banana ball yeah john green is just a fucking dumbass it fu- sucks fucking plantain penis yeah. it's so bad being a teenager he wrote a cre- the, the sex scene between those two characters in that book was so creepy. And he, oh. the fact that John Green is writing about like a teenage girl having sex and about all that, it's just gross. And I'm not calling him a pedophile like people have done. Like, well, and I don't even like, like, why was he writing from the perspective of a teenage girl? And he's got a largely teenage girl fan base. Ick. And he's just, like I said, I could go on. But this isn't a Hey John Green podcast, unfortunately. That'll be the but, name of the episode, though. <laughs> but yeah, I just hate, and I and I know I'm not going to read any of his other books because I've read the, what the plots are like, and I've seen people shit on them, and I'm like, ugh, I don't need to read them for myself. I know what he's about. Well, and I think the biggest thing for me here's, okay, here's what I think it might be in terms of like giving people another chance when it comes to like reading something that you hate and then maybe giving it a chance. Was it that you hated the plot or mm-hmm. you hated something else? But when it comes to like hating the style of their writing, I don't think that authors are really going to change their style no, too much. Not usually. And I hated Jesse Ball's style. <laughs> yeah. His narration and his like actual word choice, his character development, the plot, the way it moved, everything about like j- flashbacks. All of these tangential things, everything that happened in this book was so bad. Sounds pretty annoying. That I wouldn't, personally would not give him another chance, even if he's critically acclaimed, mm-hmm. because I know that I'd be getting at least one of those aspects, oh, and sure. I wouldn't and I wouldn't like the book. That's the thing. you got to go with your gut. If you have mm-hmm. any interest, sure, maybe give it a go. But like, if you know you're not going to like it, and you know 
Like maybe maybe you read a really bad book, but like the plot like was almost there. Yeah, and like there was something about it maybe you liked one aspect. Yeah, and you're just kind of like, oh, I wish that they had done this differently. Yeah, you know what? Give that author yeah, another shot. They could, especially redeem if that's their first book. Like this is Jesse Ball's first book. If there was something you liked about an author's first book, mm-hmm. but you didn't like it in general, okay, yeah, give them another chance. Yeah. But this guy, no, fuck that go fucking suck my bouch and if you do read a second book by them and you still hate it just just lay it to rest don't don't try it a third time no i'm sorry but when it comes to reading i don't think that third time's a charm no there's too much to read out there don't don't waste your time girl do not spend your time reading bad books just don't don't waste your time reading your bad time books. Is There's so, so much more you could Don't be doing. Don't fucking do it. Not only could you be reading good books that you like mm-hmm. and that are part of like your like specific readership that really speak to you and make you feel like more of a human being, mm-hmm. but there are TV shows like that. There are movies yeah. like that. There's so there much are friends art like that. There's plays. There's art exhibitions. Go cook a meal. Go ice skate. Go fucking. Discoing, mm-hmm. go, go fucking make a painting, write yeah. a book, um, walk outside, give hugs on the street corner, go to the pool, volunteer at your local homeless shelter. Exactly. Go and do all of the fucking living the life, but don't read fucking don't bad read books. Don't read bad books. Don't read bad books. That's, that's gonna our, be my next tattoo. That's our motto. Don't read bad books. Just don't, bitch. Throw it in the fireplace. Just kidding. Don't burn books. Don't burn books. <laughs> Donate them. Someone else might identify yeah. with it. And also visit your local library. Yeah. Pay your fines. Make friends with your cute librarians. And don't don't give us shit because it's it's a free service. Don't don't yell at me don't. when it's a free service. You're not This is a privilege, not a right. H- hell yeah, brother. <laughs> it's a privilege, not a right. Yeah. Fucking yes. Yeah. Alright. That's it. Well, good. All right. Well, this has been Harlot's shitting on books. <laughs> shitting on books. Shitting well, on books. I like you shitting on your book. <laughs> but I like my book. Well, you're going to shit on plenty of other books oh, in I the will. future. I know it. I love shitting on books. All right. I love shitting on John Green. Yeah. Bye, Fuck John, John Green. Green. You're a bad writer. Bye, John Green. <laughs> Bye. Bye. Bye.